Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning in repentance, recognising that we have sinned against you grievously in so many ways. But Lord, we turn from our sin this morning, ask for your forgiveness, and ask for your blessing as we read your word together. Lord, we pray that as we look into your word that you may awaken renewed repentance in our hearts, but also a renewed resolve to live more in accordance with your word. Lord, we pray as a result of listening to the preaching of your word this morning that we may become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, when our children misbehave, we as parents are very good at coming down with don't do that, telling our children what not to do. But whenever they do something wrong, we also try, we often fail, to give them an opportunity to do what is right. So you don't just say, don't do this. We say, do this instead. And so it's sometimes a matter of, don't hit your sister. Be kind to your sister instead. Maybe give her a cuddle. Maybe give her a kiss instead of hitting and hurting your sister. You're meant to be kind to your sister, not hurt your sister, is one of the things that I often have coming out of my mouth. Uh, And that is a good strategy to have. We often get told what not to do, but instead of being told simply not what to do, we should be given something proactive to do, what we should be doing with ourselves instead of what we shouldn't be doing. And as we come to Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, we've been looking at this for a number of weeks, and in the initial stages when we came to this, we saw what we're not to do. Back in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter gave us a, a nice list in uh, verse 3 of things that we should not do that pagans choose to do. And so if you've got a Bible there, it's found on page 1202 of the Black Church Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4, where we read, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. So Peter is very upfront. This is what you're not to do. That's what the pagans do. Don't do it. But now we've worked through verses after that and we've come to what we should do instead, what we should do with our time. If we're not to spend our time living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, then what should we be doing with our time? Seems like there's nothing left to do in the world if we can't engage in living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. What are we supposed to do with our time? And so last week we actually saw the beginning of the things that we're supposed to do, and that was in verse 7 on page 1203 of of the Black Church Bibles, 1 Peter 4, verse 7. We saw the first thing that Peter wants us to do is, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The first thing he wants us to do is be clear-minded and self-controlled, and we saw how we get that by looking at the fact that the end of all things is near. That often awakens us to the seriousness of our lives so that we can pray. And so last week we spoke about prayer and how we need to pray with self-controlled and clear minds. And this week I want to look at what Peter tells us next to do. What else does Peter tell us to do? And that is to be loving. In verse 8, which we're going to concentrate on this week, he says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter tells us to love, to be loving people. But how are we supposed to express love? There's many different ways that love can be displayed. If we're Christians and we're supposed to be loving, how does that love, what does it look like in our lives? Because... 
We can love different people. Who are we supposed to love, Peter, we could ask? How is our love supposed to be prioritised? There's so many other things we, we can do with our time. Where is love on our priority list? What does love actually do? How does it manifest itself, we could ask Peter. And what sort of type of love are we supposed to have? Is, is a superficial love okay or are we meant to go deeper? Are we, how is our love meant to be displayed? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning because I think Peter answers those questions for us in 1 Peter chapter 8. He doesn't just tell us love, be loving people. He gives us some extra information as to how that love is shown. And so my first main point this morning about the love that we're supposed to show is that we're supposed to love each other. This is answering the question of who we're supposed to love. And he says, love each other. If you want to follow along with my main points this morning, they're on the back of the church bulletin there. And so the first thing we're meant to notice about the love that Christians show is that they're meant to love each other. It says in verse 8, above all, love each other. Love each other. So who are we meant to love? Each other. Who's each other? Well, who's Peter writing to? He's writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to a church. And so who, well, many churches he's writing to, but he's writing to Christians. And so he's telling Christians to love each other. Christians are supposed to love one another. Yes, we are supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to love our enemies, Jesus tells us. We're supposed to love those people who mistreat us. And so, yes, we are supposed to do that. But Peter is singling out here a particular aspect of Christian love that we're supposed to follow, and that is to love each other, to love other Christians. That really is our first and foremost priority for our love as well. When we look around us at the people of the world, we're meant to love them all, but we're meant to have a particular priority of love for fellow Christians, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says this too in Galatians chapter 6. He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Okay, let us do good to all, he says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And Peter is saying that here as well. He's giving us a command, not saying don't love your enemies or don't love other people outside the church, but he's saying make sure you love each other. Love one another. Have that as a priority in your life to make sure you know the people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ and love them. And, of course, to do that, you actually do have to know who they are. You have to be committed to some brothers and sisters in Christ by attending a local church, being involved in a local church, and then not just coming along to church and then skedaddling afterwards before the last hymn is even finished, because how are you going to love those people if you never actually speak to them? And so Peter wants you to love each other by getting to know each other, committing yourselves to a church, and then loving those people at the church. Now, how should you prioritise this love that we have for each other? There's many things that you could do with your life. Where does love fit on the scale of things to do? Now, that's what Peter addresses at the beginning of verse 8. He says in verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And so my second main point this morning is love above all. Love each other above all. Peter wants love to be the number one priority in your life. He says, above all things, love should be what you're showing to people around you. 
And this is what Jesus taught us as well. What did Jesus teach? Someone came to him and asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? There's lots of laws there. Which is the greatest? What should be my priority? What should be my number one priority? What is the greatest command, Jesus? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. What Jesus is saying is, basically, if you sum up the whole law, you put it into one command, it's to love your neighbour as yourself. It's to love. Now, is Peter saying that loving other people is more important than loving God? Because if you notice that verse that I read out from, uh, from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 22, verse 36, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. And is Peter saying in verse 8 here, above all, love each other, actually supersedes love for God? Well, no, he's not saying that. But he's already said what should be really first on our list of things to do if we're not living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. What are we supposed to do? Verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. He's commanded you to pray, and then after that he says, above all else, he's saying, love each other deeply. You should have a right relationship with God first and foremost. As Jesus says, that's the greatest commandment, love God, but then love your neighbour as yourself, love each other. You're meant to have a praying relationship with God and then love your neighbour as yourself. And that, and Peter has brought out a particular emphasis, love the brotherhood of believers. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ in particular. Now, why would Peter risk that misunderstanding there? That saying above all, love each other deeply, that you might think that it's loving your neighbour, loving your brothers and sisters, is more important than loving God. I think because he wants you to see how closely connected love to your brothers and sisters is in relationship to your prayer life. We've been looking at this book of 1 Peter fairly slowly uh, for quite some time. We had a break and came back. And so um, you may not remember uh, some of the sermons before we returned in 1 Peter chapter 4 about the importance of the relationship that we have with others when it comes to our prayer life. Look back in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. There was a particular command. I had a whole sermon to husbands. And uh, it's quite... a quite a challenging verse, verse 7, by what it says about the prayer life of husbands. It says in verse 7, Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. What are husbands to do? Be considerate. Treat your wives with respect. Why? The last part of 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says, So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Your prayers can actually be hindered, hurt in some way, ineffective, by the way that you treat your wife. And so it's not surprising over in verse 8 that loving each other is so closely connected in behind your prayer. You might be a person who prays a lot, but if you don't love those people around you, what are those prayers worth? In God's eyes, they can be hindered by the way that you live. And it even says that back in 1 Peter 3, verse 12 as well. 
What does it say in verse 12? And it's quoting from the Old Testament there. In verse 12, 1 Peter 3, 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's eyes are on the righteous, and he listens, he's attentive to the prayers of righteous people. And so it's not surprising that Peter would then have, above all, love each other so closely behind praying to God. We need to love each other if we want to have an effective prayer life. Yes, first and foremost, love God. Pray to God. That's the number one thing you can be doing with your time. But if you don't, you could withdraw from society, live in a monastery and never interact with anyone, how effective would your prayers be if you're not out there helping people that need desperate help? How effective? You could spend 24-7. Well, you'd have to stop for sleep at some point, I guess, but who could tell whether if you're praying all the time, 24-7, who could tell whether the eyes are shut for prayer or eyes are shut for sleep, I guess. But you could be doing that, but you wouldn't be fulfilling this command here. And would your prayers be hindered? All those prayers that you're offering up to God. So we need to love each other. We need to love one another so that our prayers won't be hindered. We need to love above all other things. Above all the things that we would want to do with our time, we need to make sure that we're loving one another. But how then is love expressed? We're meant to love each other, but how do you love someone? There's many different ways you can show love to someone. What has Peter got to tell us about how our love can be expressed? Well, in subsequent weeks, after Christmas, we'll take a break. Um, we'll come back and we'll see other ways that we can love each other. But I would just want to look at, in verse 8 how love is going to be expressed according to Peter there. He says in verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And that's my third main point this morning is love to cover sin. Love to cover sin. If we love one another, we actually cover up sin. Now what does that mean? Some commentators and Roman Catholic scholars particularly love this verse because they think that it's teaching here that when you love someone, when you do a good work, it actually atones for one of your sins. So when you've hated someone in the past and then you show love to somebody, what happens? That sin is scuttled away and cleaned up because of the love that you have shown. So when it says there, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Yes, you may have hated someone a lot in the past, but if you just start to love some people, it'll cover over that multitude of sins. But the rest of the scriptures do not teach such salvation by works, that sin is cleansed by our good works. No, scripture teaches us quite clearly that the only way to be cleansed of your sins to have your sins covered over by God, is by God to do it himself with his son at the cross. And it's through our faith in that act that God cleanses us. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works such as loving each other, so that no one can boast. Loving each other will not take away your sin. It will not save you. The Bible is quite clear on that. So what does Peter mean here? Well, Peter means that when we love others, it means that we cover up their sin that they've committed against us. And Paul would agree. Paul defines love in many ways in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says in verse 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. 
People commit wrongs against you all the time. But if you love that person, you keep no record of those wrongs. You forgive them. You let those wrongs go. And that is how Peter wants love to be expressed between brothers and sisters. He wants forgiveness to be shown between one another. It's so true. Where love is lacking, every word is treated with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding. Conflict abounds. It's so easy when someone says something to you, if you aren't loving that person, you'll just misunderstand. You'll treat them as their enemy at all times, and, and so you'll twist their words, and they may not have meant something insulting even, but you will think that they were insulting you. You'll get offended. But where love abounds, small offences and even big offences can be covered over. Someone insults you, someone does something to you, you let it go because you love that person. It covers over their sin. And so that's what we should be doing. If you are going to fulfill this command of Peter where he says love each other, it should be that that is expressed by the way that you forgive others. What does it mean to forgive someone? Well, Peter said, keep no record of wrongs. And so there's an excellent little booklet uh, that... I was going to bring up here with me, but I haven't. I've got it down in my pew uh, called Forgiving Others by CCF. Um, and it's put out by the CCF, uh, the publisher. And that outlines in there the way to forgive other people. And basically it says that when we make the promise to forgive someone, we commit ourselves to three things. We commit ourselves to saying, I will never bring this offence that you have committed against me up with you or use it against you. Because when someone does something to us and they know they've done the wrong thing, it's all very easy to bring it up with them. Every time they attack you, you can bring up what they did in the past. But if you forgive them, you say, I'm not going to bring that up with you again. Secondly, you promise, I will not bring this up with others and gossip and malign you. So firstly, you don't bring it up with the individual themselves. Secondly, you don't bring it up with others. And if there's something we struggle with in forgiveness, it is letting a sin go and not tell anyone else about it. And then thirdly, we promise I will not bring this offence up to myself and dwell on it. So firstly, you don't bring it up with the other person. Secondly, you don't bring it up with other people. Thirdly, you don't even bring it up in your own mind. If you feel the knowledge of that past offence coming up in your mind, you suppress it. You say, I'm not going to think about that. I've forgiven that offence. I'm going to let it go. That's what it means to forgive someone. And that's what Peter is getting at here. Love covers over a multitude of sins. You're covering them up. You're suppressing those sins that they've committed against you and forgiving them for what they've done. But then the question is, well, how many times do I have to do that? How many times do I have to forgive others? Do they get three chances with me and after that I don't have to forgive them? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning, love to cover a multitude of sins. Did you notice that extra word that Peter slips in there in verse 8? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Many sins are covered by the Christian. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And this is a thing that was common at the time of Jesus to uh, try and consider is how many times do you have to forgive your brother? How many times do you have to forgive those around you when they've sinned against you. And Peter comes up to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? I'm really generous. I give people seven chances, not three strikes and you're out. I give seven strikes and then you're out. Is that how many? 
And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And really, he's getting out there, not 77 strikes and then you're out. He's going, you just keep on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. A multitude of sins is what Peter says there. As many times as people sin against you, you have to be ready to forgive them because you love them and you want to show that love by the way that you'll forgive them for many sins. Now, you may think, oh, is it necessary for Peter to command Christians to love one another so that sin is forgiven many, many times? Well, sadly, yes. Churches are full of sinners. Some people look at churches on the outside and they think, oh, you all think you're so righteous in there. But it's not true. People in churches should be the ones that know particularly clearly how unrighteous they are in comparison to other people outside the world. Most of the world thinks that humans are essentially good. It should be, and but Christians, if they truly understand the human heart, they know what the Bible teaches and that humans are essentially bad. And so if, humans, if the Christians inside the church are essentially bad, well, of course there's going to be many offences committed against one another. Churches are often filled with people who are very bitter against one another for things that people have done. And it can go back decades. And whole families get involved because of the offence that another family committed against another family. And it wasn't done to them personally, but it was done to their grandfather. And so they don't forgive that other family. It goes on and on for years. And so there's the sin of the actual act itself, which we shouldn't minimise. Sin is sin and it needs to be dealt with. But it should be ready to be forgiven because that is a sin in itself, the unforgiving nature that we often have, which is really just linked to our pride. We think, I am so good, I would never do that, and so I can hold you, hold that against you. It's linked in with our pride when we've got an unforgiving spirit. We haven't realised how bad we are and how much we need others to forgive us just like they need us to forgive them. And so we need to be told by Peter here, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins because churches are full of sinners. And if someone hasn't sinned against you in this church yet, it's only a matter of time. And when that happens, you have to be ready to forgive them. Why? Because if we don't forgive one another, we will devour ourselves. I mean, Peter has written this letter, as I keep saying again and again, to people who are suffering for the faith. The whole letter is about suffering and ways to encourage you when you get persecuted for being a Christian. And what does a Christian need if they're getting attacked from without? Do they need to get attacked from within as well? Imagine a church that's being persecuted for the faith and yet they're eating one another as well as being eaten from the outside. It's just ridiculous. If you're getting persecuted for being a Christian, the last thing you need is another Christian withholding forgiveness from you. Always bringing it up with you, bringing it up with other people, bringing it up in their own mind and smouldering on it. It's the last thing you need. And so Peter, I think, rightly comes along to persecuted Christians and says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So we've seen this morning we're to love each other, meant to love each other above all things. We're meant to forgive each other for many sins. But you may be saying, but it's so hard to love others, forgiving them multitudes of sins. 
But that's why Peter gives us advice about how to love here also in verse 8. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And that's my fifth main point this morning. Love deeply. Love each other deeply. We're commanded to love each other deeply here. What does deeply mean? What does that Greek word mean? Well, it can mean earnestly. It's got the idea of stretching out. It was actually used for when runners stretched their muscles as they were running so they could go as far as they could. Or another Greek writer used it to express a horse being made to go at full gallop. And so it means to exert oneself to the fullness of your power. And that's what Peter is saying we need to do when we forgive others. It is hard to forgive others. We are so proud and we don't like to do so. But we have to work at it, stretch our muscles, stretch them so that we express love to that person and forgiveness to them. We've got to love them deeply, even if it costs us greatly. When you stretch a muscle out, it hurts, and it may hurt you greatly to forgive someone. But you have to do it. You have to. Peter tells you to. And that means God tells you to. And there's great reason why you should do that why you should love them deeply. And that leads me to my last main point, which isn't found in the text, but I can find it elsewhere in the Bible. My last main point this morning about our great motivation is my sixth main point, love because of God's love. Love because of God's love. This description of what we're supposed to do here, God's already done that through his son, Jesus Christ. All those things are done through Jesus Christ. Jesus loved God first and foremost. He was a man who prayed. But he also had a real love for humanity. He loved humans, and he loves humans still today. The reason the sun is up this morning is because of God's love through Jesus Christ. But then Jesus has a particular love for the church. It's only the church that Jesus died for. It's only the church that Jesus' blood cleanses. He loves all humanity... In common grace, but he's got a particular concern for the people of God. He's got a particular love, just like you're supposed to have a particular love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus does that. Jesus' love was above all. All other things, Jesus put, he, he knew the law, he knew all the requirements, but he said, love is above everything. That's the greatest commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. That is above all things. And Jesus did that by the way that he lived. And the way that he lives today. And the love of Jesus also covers over a multitude of sins. I've already spoke about it briefly, but I want to speak about it again because it's such an important point. Where I said, because love covers over a multitude of sins, I said that's about forgiveness. It is about forgiveness. And Jesus showed that. He covers a multitude of our sins at the cross. Our sins are serious offenses at God. God didn't sweep them under the rug. He paid for them with Jesus' blood. We have forgiveness. Why? Because of the love of God and the love of his son, Jesus Christ. It's the love of God that covers over a multitude of your sins. Because it's not just one sin that Jesus forgives. He forgives a multitude of sins. He forgives every sin of yours if you trust in him. All your sins are paid for. Now you may say, oh... But it didn't cost Jesus much. Well, what does it say there about the way we should love each other? Love each other deeply so that your muscle is stretched 
in the way that you forgive others? Was Jesus' muscles stretched at the cross? Yes. It cost him his life to forgive you, to cover over a multitude of sins. He made sure he loved people above everything, above his own life. He was ready to give it and then he did give it. He loved deeply as no one else has ever loved deeply. And so if that's the love of Jesus, then we should love each other like that as well. We are always aspiring to be like Christ, to be Christ-like. And if that's the love of Jesus, then that should be our great motivator for being loving as well. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to encourage you to consider the love of Jesus for you. That if you repent of your sins and trust that Jesus Christ died for you, then all that's described there about love is done for you, between you and God. Jesus loves you deeply and covers over a multitude of your sins. I encourage you, there's no other greater thing you can do than accept Jesus' offer to have your sins covered. And then you can have a greatest motivator on the planet to love others around you. You'll be a nicer person. You'll be a more loving person because you will know how much God has forgiven you, so you should be ready to forgive anyone, anything they do against you. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, do you love the family of believers above all else, all else that you can do with them? Do you show them love? And particularly in forgiving their sins, deeply, and many of them, because God has forgiven you? Or do you bear grudges, withholding forgiveness, bringing it up, not necessarily with that person, but with other people, or not necessarily with other people, but always in your mind, you keep remembering what someone's done against you. Is that you? If that is you, then I would ask you to seriously consider whether you understand the love of God for you and the way that he has covered over a multitude of your sins. Because if you don't understand that, then it's not surprising that you hold people's sins up against them, in your mind, with others, and even with them. And so I encourage you to keep going back to the cross. It is so central to the Christian life. It is the great motivator for everything good that you will do, including loving each other above all deeply and because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these instructions from Peter about how we are to live, that we're supposed to love each other above all and deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We thank you, Lord, that you do not just simply give us this command, but you also have shown in the pages of your word that you have done this, that you have practised what you preach. You've told us to live this way, but then through your son, Jesus Christ, we can see this love displayed. It is so wonderful to know that the love of Jesus has covered over a multitude of sins, not of other people, but of ourselves as well. Lord, it is so wonderful to know that we have forgiveness with you. And so, Lord, we pray that we may indeed fulfill this command and forgive others, covering over a multitude of sins that they may commit against us because we love them, because you loved us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.